for you are worthy of all praise and honor. And Father, we read the stories of the angels and the elders worshiping you, Father. And Lord, we thank you that we have the opportunity to worship you in spirit here on the earth. But we long for the day, Father, when we see you face to face and worship you at your very throne, Father, with thousands and thousands and millions of believers, Father, who worship you as the most high God. Father, on this earth, we choose to worship you in our hearts, Father, each and every day. You are the one true and living God. You are the only one, Father, worthy of worship and praise and adoration, Father. We thank thee, O God, for being good to us, being kind towards us, Father, for speaking to us, reminding us that you love us, Father, for dwelling within us and showing us the path each and every day, Father, that we should walk. We thank you, Father. You are worthy to be worshiped and praised. Father, we bow our knees to you, Father. And Lord, we'll, let, we'll not let any natural thing, Father, stand in our place of worship. We will worship you, Father. Father, you're worthy. Thank you, Father. Yes, Lord, you're worthy. Thank you, Father. We thank you for the, your presence. We thank you for your goodness, Father. Father, we thank you that your word declares that times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. So, Father, we thank you that our hearts and minds are refreshed. Father, we thank you that our spirits are refreshed. We thank you for the manifest presence of your spirit who dwells in us and among us. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We worship you, Father. We thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And Father, we thank you for your great mercy that you've extended to us. Thank you, Father, for washing us in your blood. And Father, we get to stand before you clean each and every day, Father. Thank you. And Father, for all of these things, we thank you. We praise you, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, praise God. The Lord is good. Amen. Uh, we thank the Lord for the opportunity to worship him. I love uh, spending time in worshiping the Lord. Amen. There's just something about, you know, the, the thing that's, uh, that's such an honor to worship the Lord is when we worship the Lord, the Spirit of God hooks up with us, and we worship Him together with the Spirit of God. That's a pretty good deal, amen? That's a pretty sweet deal, so we thank the Lord for that, amen? Uh, well, we want to welcome uh, Brother Randall Greer all the way from Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, with us this morning, and uh, let's give him a warm Dayton welcome, amen? With us. He's on our side. He's leading us. He's guiding us. He's directing our paths. Amen. You know what's appealing to man and mankind is not always appealing to God. What's important to man and mankind is not always important to God. That's why it's important that we know Him. Because there's many things going on in the earth today 
that mankind gives importance to and God could care less about it. And it seems like the church as a whole, and I'm not belittling anybody, I'm just telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's why the church as a whole has been ineffective. And yes, I'm a, I believe in faith, but I also believe in telling the truth. Has been ineffective at reaching the world. Because they're doing it with means that is important to them instead of means that are important to God. But you can smile a while and give your face a rest. Then shake hands. <laughs> it's an old Pentecostal song we used to sing. But I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here with Dr. Chip, Pastor Chris. We're so glad that they're here. We're, we, you know, we thank God for these facilities. For My son was able to come. Two, he came a different route than we did. We come on one airplane, flew an airplane. He come on another airplane. But he's here, and, uh, and he'll be with us and help us out in our meetings over in uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And you're invited to come there, but it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> and our Gatlinburg meetings that we're going to have there. It's good to see our pastors and minister friends that are here too also. And it's good to see our friends from Missouri. I don't think they could knock it in neutral and, and roll over here because there's a lot of flat land between here and there. But then uh, Mr. Bill and Miss Trudy, board members, uh, I know they can just knock them in neutral in Hawassi almost. They can get enough speed down one hill and they can get over the other one. And then you was talking about somebody else had come and I guess you don't have to burn no fuel getting here, but you burn some getting back. But it's good to see all of you here. I'm glad my wife was able to be here with me. You know, she tried some gymnastic trick stuff back during before Christmas. And, and uh, what I mean by that, come down the steps the wrong way, getting some Christmas decorations and, uh, to put up there at the house and twisted her foot and broke it. And uh, so she's not been able to go a lot. So she is coming along and doing pretty good. She's hopping a little bit, but she's uh, improving greatly. And we thank God for that. So she's able to be here with us. And so God has a plan for every service. God has a purpose for every service. Isn't that right? And we thank God for his plans and for his purposes. And we thank God for what he'll do today. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your holy written word that's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Father, today, I thank you as I speak, and I will speak as the very oracles of God, administer with the ability only which you can give. Father, we know it's not enticing words of man's wisdom that changes anyone's life, but it's through demonstrations of your spirit, your power, and your anointing. And Father, I thank you for every ear that will be a listening ear, and every heart that will be a receptive heart. And Lord, I thank you that the Holy Ghost will live big in me today to cause your will and plan to come to pass. And Father, we'll give you the glory, honor, and praise for all good things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. If you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to uh, get into a subject that the Lord has been talking to me about. In fact, uh, <clears throat> we haven't publicly announced this, but we're going to announce it here so you'll be the first ones to know. I'm going to do some double demon seminars. I said, where'd the double demon come from? My son come up with that title, you know. I'm going to do some, uh, I'm going to do some meetings on specifically starting this year somewhere. 
on just on things related to devils, demons, and evil spirits and our authority over them because we are failing and highly lack, lacking in this area at dealing with a demon-ridden society. And uh, the Lord has anointed me to deal with these kind of issues. And I don't say that in pride at all. But I remember April the 5th, 1984, I was standing out behind this block wall. I'd been fasting and praying and seeking God. And I was standing out behind this building that had a block wall there, just seeking the Lord, worshiping Him. And suddenly, it was like heaven opened over me. And the, the, our, the anointing came on me, you know, just like Jesus when He came up out of the River Jordan. The anointing of God came on Him, and it said that the, the anointing came on Him and descended upon Him like a dove. Now, that doesn't mean that a bird landed on Jesus. <laughs> you know, it wasn't a bird, a real bird. It was just a type and shadow. When the anointing came upon me, and this is what I heard from the Lord. He said, I'm anointing you today to begin to enter into the ministry that I have called you to, and nations and countries shall be changed. Well, you know, in, in a sense of speaking, how in the world could anything like that happen? But I know this, that very day, for the very first time, I had never had it happen. The gifts of the Spirit went into operation. The Lord showed me a man that was demon-possessed. The man was possessed with three particular demons. Actually, only one possessed him, but two more was living in his body. And he had a spirit of homosexuality. He had a lying spirit and a spirit of hatred. And the Lord said, I want you to cast him out, cast them demons out of him. I said, do what? I'd never done that before in my life. I'd never cast out a devil in my life. But that day, the Lord taught me the difference between what was human and what's demonic. Many times in the church world, we don't know what's demonic and what's human. Because demons do exist, and I'm going to expose them. That's the reason we're going to have these meetings by direction of the Lord. Now, he'd been dealing with me about this for over three years. <laughs> over three years. But this year, he told me, that you're going to start this year. Now, I haven't planned it. No, no meetings are announced. This is the first time you've heard it publicly. But we're going to have a, and again, my son called it double demon seminar. But he, he was joking, and that's not what we're going to call it necessarily. But don't make me do it now. But we're going to do it in this sense to bring light to the fact that the church has total authority over devils and demons. There are people in the church world today, no doubt people right here in this service this morning, that are dealing with demonic activity in your life. The devil will... That don't mean you're possessed, don't get me wrong. But the devil will harass you. The devil will attack you. The devil will try to take over your mind and get in your thought life. The devil can attack you with sickness and disease. It certainly doesn't come from God. In fact, some people will never be healed until the devil's cast out of them. Amen. Now, we don't get on that side of the gospel. And I'm not saying it's for here, but it's the truth. Some sicknesses and diseases are caused by demons that attack people's body. And until that demon comes out, there's not going to be any healing in that person's body. Now, that's the other side of the gospel that we never hear. But in these meetings, I would encourage you to get there. Wherever we're going to be, we'll make an announcement soon. We may make an announcement over in Gatlinburg of what time and when it's going to be, and don't make me come hunting you either. We're not doing this just because 
that I don't have anything else to do. I've got plenty to do. I don't know about you. I've got a lot of what they call it. Granny used to call it, we got a lot of irons in the fire. You know what I mean? And we're trying to keep all of them hot. You know what I mean? <laughs> At the same time. And so I didn't, you know, sign up and say, Lord, I want to go do this. In fact, I wanted nothing to do with it. In fact, for years there, I wouldn't even cast a devil out of nobody because I got tired of seeing people that had got set free that would go right back to the hog pen and let the devil right back in their life. See, once you get free from demonic spirits, you've got to stay free. There's some things that you've got to do. So anyway, we're not going to cover the whole subject today, but our, the, the theme of our meeting over in Gatlinburg is submit and resist. That's what it's going to be in Gatlinburg, not here, but submit and resist. James chapter 4, verse 7, that'll be our keynote scripture. And why is that? Because the Lord put it in my heart to do it. Submit and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's what it says in James chapter 4. But there is demonic activity. As you look across and think about our society just here, you know, in our nation. And of course, you can look at other nations, but you don't have to look way out there. You can look right in our nation, and you can tell that our generation is demonized. Demonized. And there's demonic activity going on everywhere. Who in their right mind could take a gun and put it to somebody's head and blow their brains out and they'd never met them in their life? Who in their right mind could climb up in a hotel and get a gun and just shoot down in the crowd and kill everybody that was there? Demons. Demons. Now the news people don't report this because they don't know it. They don't understand it. They want to get psychological, psychiatric counseling. No, you don't counsel the devil. You cast him out in the name of Jesus. And so, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the devil, you understand. But that's the problem. We're trying to counsel the devil and pet the devil on the neck and on the back and give him a pill. Listen, the devil ain't going to get fixed with no doggone pill. You got to cast him out. <laughs> Dr. Chip, you might not have invited me this week. You should have... You should have passing. You should have done that old, that old uh, Pentecostal phrase, chicken me shy, passing me by. You know what I mean? <laughs> In this meeting. But I'm stirred up. God stirred me up. He's been working on me for over three years because I got away from this area of my ministry that he called me to. The reason I did, because I got tired of doing it. I got tired of dealing with people. I got tired of Christians that would get set free and they were all so lazy and lackadaisical. They wouldn't study the Bible. They wouldn't pray and wouldn't seek God and they left the devil right back in their life. Now, this is not a pastoral message. You're in the wrong place. <laughs> Just like when I was going to Bible school, we had a, we had a, a they put me in what they call a, the pastor's class, the pastor's group because you could choose, you know, where you thought you was going to be and everything. And so I went to my elder in there at Bible school, and I asked him, I said, Sir, I said, I don't know what I'm called to do. I just believe I'm called, but I don't know. He said, Well, Brother Randy, he said, you just go in the pastor's group. And he said, because in the pastor's group, he said, you're going to get an overview of the different types of ministries that the Bible talks about. And he said, you're going to learn a lot from that. So in, in the second term, towards the end of the year, the second year, the end of the term, you'd say, of that year, then you had to present a sermon. You had to have an introduction, a main body, and a conclusion. I had Bible interpretation. They taught me all of these wonderful things, whether I ever do them or not, 
I made an A in that class. I'm here to tell you, <laughs> whether they ever knew them or not, I made an A, and I made a hundred in those classes. And so I understood, you know, the Bible speaks to three people groups. Most people don't know that. And they try to take this and apply it to that, and this apply to that. But anyway, <clears throat> I was in the pastor's <clears throat> lab, <clears throat> excuse me, pastor's group, and uh, <clears throat> you, <clears throat> you had to present a sermon. <clears throat> and in that sermon, you had 12 minutes, and they had a clock. This clock was about 12 inches wide, about 12 inches tall, and it had big hands on it. And it had a, a dinger, ringer on it, you know. And then when you started, the instructor in the class, who was also a preacher, of course, hit the button. And in 12 minutes, you've got to have an introduction, you've got to have main body, and you've got to have a conclusion, and, and you've got to have your sermon completed, and you've got to have everybody saved. All the devils cast out and everything. You got 12 minutes. You know, if you're from Tennessee or Georgia where I was born and brought up, I mean, you, you can't say hello in 12 minutes. You know what I mean? <laughs> and most preachers can't either say hello in, in 12 minutes. And so I was in there, you know, and I was hearing these wonderful sermons from these pastors. And we need this. We got, got different ministry offices in the, in the Bible, you know. <clears throat> and they'd hear these things that, that these pastors would speak and they said, you know, life is like a lemon pie. You know, you've got different ingredients, but when you put them all together, it comes out fluffy and good and sweet. Then you'd hear another one. Life is like a chocolate cake. There's many different layers, but when you put the icing on them, it all turns out sweet. Then you'd hear another one preach. Life is like a rose bush. It's got beautiful flowers, but there's thorns on the vine that'll stick you as you go along. Wonderful things. And I thought, well, I'm going to try to preach me one of these rose bush sermons. I'm going to get me a, a chocolate cake or, or, or something sermon, you know, because it, it sounded so good. And it was fluffy. It made you feel real good. And you felt built up. But I, I started trying to put these sermons together, and I'd put them together and and I just throw it away. I mean, no, because you have to have an outline, too, and you had to hand it in before you spoke, and you had to follow that outline. What they do is trying to train you how to preach uh, different kind of topicals. There's all kinds of sermons. But anyway, I know how to do it, whether they ever do it or not. Most of them that taught me don't do it either. I'm just here to tell you. <laughs> but they teach you all this highfalutin stuff. So I just threw away sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. And it got down to the next day I had to go preach the sermon. And my wife came in. She said, well, what you going to preach on, honey? I said, I don't know. I had a trash can. I didn't wrote note after note, just throw them away. So I decided when all else fails, what do we do? Pray, you know. <laughs> so I decided I'm going to pray. And I'm going to tell God everything I've tried to put together, these lemon pies and chocolate cakes and thorns and rose bushes, they ain't, they ain't doing but sticking me. I don't know. It don't fit me. Somehow or another, they're wonderful for them and they're, they're gifting, but they just don't seem to fit me. Of course, we need all that, you know. And so I got down by Paul Walker, Paul and Granny Walker. Remember the old green sofa bed that we had? That's, the sofa bed was made out of real wood. In fact, you wouldn't move so you wouldn't have to move the thing. That's how heavy it was, you know. So I knelt down by old, old Paul and Granny Walker sofa bed that she, they gave us when we got married. And it was kind of small. It wasn't real long, but it was heavy, you know. And I went to pray, and I started seeking God, and after about 45 minutes of seeking God, I mean, even cried a few tears, you know what I mean? I was serious about this thing. And, and then finally, just right in my spirit, it just rose right up. I didn't hear an audible voice, and this is what I heard. Preach 
what you know. I said, glory. That's a good idea. I said, Lord, what do I know? <laughs> Sometimes you don't know what you know. He said, you know how to cast out devils, don't you? And I said, well, yes, Lord. I did know how to cast out devils. I've cast out hundreds, maybe thousands of devils. Yes, I know how to do it. He said, well, get up and preach about how to cast out devils. And I said, Lord, I know how to do it, but I don't know how to tell somebody else how to do it. And I said, you know Reverend Cook, my instructor in this class that was over this class, and I said, he's a stickler for your points coming straight out of the Bible, straight from the Scriptures. He don't like for you to make up Kellogg's cereal and try to put a Scripture with it, you know. He wants your Scriptures to come straight out of the Bible. I just knew him. You got to know folks, you know. And he said, well, that's no problem. He said, Luke 4.36 is a method and formula for casting out any devil and, and any success. He said, with authority and power, <laughs> he, he, he took authority over the devils. He cast them out in the name of Jesus Christ. And so Luke 4.36, he told me that. So I got up, and at the same time, I got up and I preached. The next day, when I, when I come to the pulpit, I'd been fasting too. You know what I mean? I, I, when I got up in that pulpit... The anointing of God hit me, and I'm telling you, I smeared chocolate cake and lemon pie. I broke the rose bushes. My God, I was stomping. I was shouting. And the instructor in the back of the class, his eyes, he stood up, put his hand down on his desk. He's looking, and all these pastors, they're going wild. <laughs> going wild in there because I'm hollering, yelling, and screaming, and I'm not just telling about how to do it. I'm telling about experiences I had <clears throat> or demons that were supernaturally empowered, superhuman people empowered by demons and how the Lord had anointed me to cast them out of them. And I, I was telling them stories as quick as I could, you know. And, and by the time the class is over and the bell ring, ding, you know, everybody's a shouting and hollering. Other classes was changing class too. They'd come by and stick their head in. What's going on in there? They said, oh, it's Brother Randy. They said, oh, God, he done tore up something else now, <laughs> you know. And so the instructor called me back. And I thought, oh, boy, I'm in trouble, you know, because I'd never seen him call nobody back before. Reverend Cook, and he said, uh, Brother Randy, he said, I want to talk to you. I said, yes, sir. He said, I think we miss God. I said, oh, how's that, sir? He said, you ain't no pastor. <laughs> said, if you preach that hard every Sunday, he said, you'll kill the church, folks. <laughs> and he's right. That's why you have different ministry gifts and ministry offices. You couldn't take a message like that all the time. That's why we have different anointed men and women of God like your pastors here to help us in this area. But anyway, I knew that the Lord was telling the truth. That he had, he had shown me and taught me how to cast out devils. But I've never really took time to share with somebody what I have learned. And the Lord does not want that information to be kept secret because in this day that we live in, there's going to be a time, uh, you know, some call it a revival, I don't know. There's going to be a, a time of casting out devils because there's a lot of people in the world that need the devil cast out of them that are demon-possessed. And there's people in the church that are oppressed by the devil that need to be set free. And again, just because somebody's oppressed of the devil 
you know, it doesn't mean that they're not saved. It has nothing to do with it. But you can be oppressed in your mind. You can be oppressed in your physical body. You can be oppressed in your thought life. You can be oppressed in your finances. You can be oppressed in relationships. You can be oppressed in your job. And demons can be behind it. That doesn't mean that a demon is behind it. That's why you've got to be led by the Spirit of God. And that's why many people don't want to preach on this subject because a lot of times when you start preaching along this line, people get demon conscious and devil kooky. And we don't want people to get that way. You know what I mean? We don't want to make people concentrate on devils and demons more than they do Jesus Christ because that's who we want to lift up is Jesus but at the same time, if you go around with your head stuck in the sand and trying to act like the devil doesn't exist, you're going to be in trouble. The Bible says he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What did Jesus say? Let's look and see some words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 just to show you that I'm not making these things up. In Matthew chapter 12, verse number 43... The Bible says this, Matthew chapter 12, verse number 43. says, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man. Stop right there. This is what you've got to do. We've got to identify what Jesus, the subject that Jesus is discussing. To understand what he's saying. says, when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man. What does unclean spirit mean? That doesn't mean Casper the friendly ghost. This means a demonic demon spirit, unclean spirit. Now, an unclean spirit is anything of the devil is unclean because when the devil uh, attacks somebody or lives in somebody or comes in somebody's body or oppresses somebody, then whatever that demon is, it causes that person to be that way. But any demonic spirit will be unclean. In other words, it wouldn't be holy, it wouldn't be pure, and it wouldn't be acceptable for God, and it certainly wouldn't be in heaven. So that's why he addresses this when the unclean spirit. What he's talking about is demon spirits, evil spirits. That's what he's talking about. When the unclean spirit, right, Dr. Chip? Shout a while. Amen? <laughs> when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man. Gone out of who? Who is a man? A human being. So what he's talking about, he's talking about mankind. Male and female. And, by the way, that's the only two genders that exist. And if you don't know what you is, and I'm not trying to be vulgar, and I watch how I say it, if you don't know what you are, in the privacy of your own home, pull your drawers down and look, and whatever equipment you got, that's what you are. And quit listening to them doggone lies. And I'm not being vulgar. I'm telling the doggone truth. The way you were born is the way God made you, and you're not going to be anything else. I don't care how the devil lies to you. That's a lie from the devil. Trying to pervert mankind because he hates the human race because we're made in the image of God. So he's trying to pervert it. That's where all this stuff comes from. It's perversion. It's unclean. It's unholy. It's impure. So there's no other genders. You know, we're registered ministry up in Canada. In fact, I'll be up there next month speaking up there. And I think at the last time I was up there, they had 159 gender groups you could put on your birth certificate. 
Do you think that's messed up? Who could even think up of 159 different genders? Okay. And y'all sit into these places. Right up in Toronto, that's where I'm headed, right, I'm headed to Mississauga, which is right there at Toronto. I could be in downtown Main Street, Toronto, from where I'll be preaching in 20 minutes. One of three years ago, three and a half, maybe four years ago, I was up there and they had something called Gay Day Parade. And there was over one million lewdly dressed men and women uh, with children in the streets of Toronto on camera, national TV, and the commentators were applauding them about how their nation was so tolerant of different gender groups, cross-dressing, trans, whatever you call them, all that stuff. And they're saying that up there. Well, before we get mad at Canada, we got the same thing going on here in the United States. We're quickly trying to catch up with them. But all of this, whether you realize it or not, all of this is demonic activity that's taking authority over people, and it will possess them. It first starts outside their brain trying to convince them that they are something that they are not. Uh, a man trying to be a woman or a woman trying to be a man or somebody trying to cross-dress or whatever, a transsexual, or whatever you call all them things. But all of that is is demons that get into people. And in order to get them out, it's going to take the name and power, name of Jesus and the power of God. But that's what's going on. And so here it says, when unclean spirit has gone out of a man. So we know he's talking about unclean spirit. He's talking about a demon spirit, an evil spirit. But any evil, evil spirit, anything of Satan is always unclean. He's gone out of a man, meaning mankind, male and female. It says, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. In other words, he's going around to find somewhere else he can get into and find him a house, so to speak, to where he can get into. Then he says, this unclean spirit, notice he's gone out of a man, but in verse 44, he said, in verse 43, he said he's gone out. But in verse 44, then he saith, this unclean spirit, this evil spirit, this demon spirit, it all means the same thing. He said, then he saith, he said, I will return into whose house? My house. In other words, he claims that that human body, he's talking about a human body, a human being is his house. You understand that? How can it be his house? Because a human being gives them the right to make it his house. Listen, if somebody comes to your door with a sack of rattlesnakes and wants in your house, the only way them rattlesnakes is going to get in your house is if you invite them in with a sack of rattlesnakes. Now you don't mind, maybe not mind them sack of rattlesnakes, but I have weapons of major and minor destruction, and you are not going to bring no sack of rattlesnakes into my house because I'm going to slam the door in your face, and if necessary, I'm going to body slam you and throw the snakes away. Brother Randy, I thought you were the preacher. Jesus sat down methodically and made a whip. Methodically, he thought through the process, premeditated. You heard of premeditated murder? And I'm talking about premeditated whooping. Jesus didn't in a, a slight of rage start beating them in the temple. He sat down and methodically, premeditatedly made and wove and wo weaved a whip 
Then your loving Jesus went into that temple and he beat the doggone devil out of the church of God. I mean, he did. Church of God, that sounds good. <laughs> good church of God, folks. My wife, church of God, come up, church of God. Beat him out of the church of God. That's your Jesus. But you don't ever hear that side preach. Oh, Jesus is tolerant of everybody. No, he's not. He's not tolerant of the devil. And you shouldn't be either. You shouldn't have nothing to do with the devil, anything to do with evil, anything to do with evil spirits, anything to do with things that's of the devil. Jesus wasn't tolerant. The world is. A lot of the church is, but not Jesus. There are qualifications to go to heaven, and they have not changed. I don't care what the progressive church tells you. I told you you shouldn't have invited me this time. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, then they said, Brother Randy, this is not a pastoral message. Well, that's what my Bible school instructor told me. <laughs> but we've got to hear this side. We don't tolerate the devil. Not for one minute, not for one second. We put him in his place every single time. And we deal with him because we got authority over him in Jesus' name. So it says here, he saith, I'll return it to my house. Remember my house. He's talking about my house. He's talking about what? A human being. He's talking about going back to the human being that he came out of, that he's been made to leave from. And he's going to go back to that human being where he came from. So things from your past will try to haunt you in your future. Evil spirits that have attacked you in your past will try to attack you in your future. It don't mean that they're going to be successful, but it means that you cannot be uh, ignorant of what he's going to do. Because Jesus said this, I didn't say it. Jesus said when unclean spirit's gone, he's going to try to come back and go right back to that same person and influence them again, oppress them again, attack them again, and make them yield to him again. This is what this scripture's saying. This is from the words of Jesus. In my Bible, it is read. It means Jesus said it. He said, then he says, I'll return, verse 44, I'll return from my house from whence I came out. Where did he come from? He came out of a man. He came out of a woman. Man means, again, mankind, so it could be man or woman. And remember, there's only two genders. Forget all that other mess. He said, I'll... He said, I'll return unto my house from which I came out. And when he has come, he comes back to that person. Notice what he finds. He finds it empty, swept, and garnished. In other words, all cleaned up. But notice the clue here to him being able to go in and begin to take over this person's life again is the first word, empty. If you're not filled with God, other things are going to try to fill your life. If God's not a priority in your life, other things are going to try to take priority in your life. Notice he findeth it empty. Being swept is wonderful. Being garnished and fixed up is good. But being empty is very, very bad. In other words, there's got to be something that once the devil has gone that I replace all those things, all those thoughts, all those motions, emotions, all those feelings, 
All that stuff that I used to yield to, I don't yield to it no more. It don't control me no more. I'm not going to give it place no more. But notice when he comes back, what does he do? He finds it empty, and that's the bad thing. When we don't get filled with God and we don't get filled with this word, then it opens the door to the enemy to try to come back into our life. That doesn't mean that he is unless we give place to him. But when you're empty, you really have no ability to stand against him. You've got to get filled with God. So it says here, it finds it empty, swept, and garnished. Then what happens? Verse 45. Remember, this is the words of Jesus. Then goeth he, talking about this unclean spirit, this demon spirit, this evil spirit, this demonic spirit, all being one and the same. Then goeth he and taketh with himself, notice here, with himself, he don't go by himself this time, he takes with him seven other spirits more wicked, more wicked, more wicked. Notice he was an unclean spirit up here. Now he's going to take spirits that's more wicked than what he is, more evil than what he is. And he's going to take seven other spirits more wicked than himself. It says they're going to enter in. Why? Because the person is empty. They haven't walked with God like they should. They hadn't stayed close to God. They hadn't started praying like they should. And they hadn't been reading their Bible like they should. Because all those things will close the door to the devil when you do it. By reading, studying, attending church, staying with God, and staying full of the Holy Ghost. He said... There's seven other spirits more wicked than himself and said they enter in and dwell there and what happens to that person? And the last state of that man is what? Worse than the first. The last state of that man is worse than the first. In other words, now this individual that had been set free, right? Because it said in verse 43 when the unclean spirit is gone. He's gone, but now when he comes back, he said this individual is worse than he was at the first because now there's eight spirits in him. You see that? Eight evil spirits. There's eight of them in there because this person opened the door to the devil. Now, you were, I uh, wanted to ask this question. I, I think probably some of you went to, was going to go to bed last night and you said, well, if I, I'm going to get that, I'm going to ask that preacher, I'm going to ask him, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him this question. I just want to know the answer to this question. You know, somehow I knew you was going to ask this question. And, of course, you want to know what's the question. You're, what you want to know is why this demon took seven other spirits with him. You remember that? You, you stayed up. You just want to know why did he take seven other spirits. Why didn't he just go back by himself? Because he didn't want to get thrown out again, and there's power in numbers. A threefold cord is not easily broken. But by himself, he was no match for whatever made him leave to start with. But him and these seven other spirits are more than a match for most folks. In other words, he's got a secure home in this person's body. And he'll be there in that person's body until someone in the name of Jesus casts those things out of them or they die and the spirits leave them. And I'll not get into that. You get in our meetings and I'll tell you about it. What about people that are possessed and die? What happened to those spirits? I'm going to talk about that in our seminar. Where do they go? What happened to them? What happens to the people that surround them? You get in our meetings because this is not a place to share that. It's not for the faint of heart, but I'm going to share these. This is not something that I made up. This is something I know and can prove it from the Bible. Thank God.
Are you happy? Smile a while and give your face a rest. Then we sang it. Remember that song? Didn't y'all sing Church of God? We did. We sang the Assembly of God. Yeah, we did. You remember that song? Yeah, they remember that song. Yeah. I might make them sing a special for us. Do <laughs> you remember that song? Yeah. So I just do that. I know it's kind of heavy. You know, what I'm sharing is kind of heavy and everything. But let me, I mean, people, this is real. This is not something. That the spiritual realm is more real than the physical world that we live in. More real. So he goes in, and the reason there takes seven others is because he got thrown out by himself. He wasn't strong enough by himself to take possession of that person and stay in that person's body, but with seven other spirits more wicked than him. Uh, I remember, I think the most demons I ever cast out of one, one individual was 14. And it wasn't because I was counting them. It's because sometimes you've got to go to the name and number. You've got to know the demon's name, and you've got to know the number of how many is in there to cast them out. Now, I didn't make this up. I didn't make this up. It's in the Bible. Remember the man with, with, with the evil spirits, the man that had the legion of demons? Jesus had told the demon to come out of the man, but the demon didn't come out. Jesus said, how many is in there? He said, legion, for we are many. Then he told them to come out, and they come out. Sometimes you've got to know the demon's name, not all the time, but most of the time, if they're real powerful demons, you've got to know their names. And they've got names in that realm, just like we have in this realm. They're not the same. It's not Mike, Ricky, Tommy, Susie, Jane, whatever, or Melinda, or Martha, but they've got names. Zayon, Zadok, all them. I've run into all kinds of them. I used to keep a notebook full of demon names. The Lord said, throw that thing away. I didn't know any better. I was just trying to see if I'd run across them again. <clears throat> I've run into demons before. It was at the cross when Jesus hung on the cross. And they saw him being crucified. These things exist. They don't have human bodies. They are disembodied spirits. See, you are a spirit being. In, in our meetings that we're going to do about this, we're going to talk about and cover all of this. Because it's just, it's just not the setting to cover it. In fact, these meetings probably, I'd say most of you shouldn't even come. <laughs> Don't come. It's better just stay dumb and ignorant if you're not going to do anything about the devil. You know what I mean? Because we're going to cover these things from a biblical <clears throat> perspective, balanced biblical perspective. We're not going to be <clears throat> demon conscious or devil kooky. We're not going to do that. <clears throat> but at the same time, we're going to expose him. So <clears throat> let's continue on here in the scripture. He said, the last state of that man, verse 45, <clears throat> is worse than the first. <clears throat> it said, even so <clears throat> shall it be also unto this, what kind of generation? What kind of generation? How do you know? Excuse me? Amen. The Bible says so. <clears throat> now, who said that, though? Jesus did. <clears throat> and what did he call it? That generation he was in, what did he call it? A wicked generation. You know what that really, what it means when you break it down? A demonized generation. 
God manifested in the flesh was walking among them, human beings, and they did not know who he was. That wicked, demonized generation took Jesus to Pilate. And then Pilate washed his hands, said, I don't have nothing to do with him. This man's innocent. And they hollered, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Who was causing the people to holler to Pilate in this gigantic crowd with Jesus being tried? I mean, these are the religious people of that day. The religious people of that day were crying out to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The son of the living God, God manifested in the flesh. Who caused them to say those things? Demons. Demons. That's why Jesus called them a wicked generation. They did not know who God was. And so those people oppressed, in fact, probably a lot of them possessed with the devil, were hollering out to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify who? The Savior of the world. Who in their right mind would do something like that? That come to give them eternal life and they're saying, kill him, kill him, kill him? Who would do that? Only a demonized person would do it. And we don't like to hear about this in the church world, but it's the truth. Our society is demonized just like it was in this day. It's a wicked generation just like it was in that day. And remember, smile a while and give your face a rest. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm mad at the devil that he's duped us, he's seduced us, he's tricked us, he's deceived us into trying to think that he doesn't exist while he's creating all this havoc in our society today. But it's time that we rise up, and we are. We're going to have a mighty army that arises up and we're going to take our generation for Jesus. We're going to be casting out (laughs) devils left and right. The Bible said we'll tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. That's talking about demon spirits, by the way. It's not talking about snakes and tadpoles and toady frogs. You know what I mean? All right, Dr. Chip, straighten up now. <laughs> Dr. Chip said, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Run around you now. Now you're going to pray for me like you should have. No, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. Hallelujah. Thank God for it. Notice he called that generation. He was in a what generation? Wicked. Well, Brother Randy, you, you're supposed to love people. You're not supposed to tell anybody. You wicked thing, you. That's what Jesus said. They're wicked. That's what he said when he went into the temple with a whip methodically, premeditatedly, made a whip and beat the doggone devil out of the church. That's what we need to do. Some of y'all need to sit down and weave a whip. I'm here to tell you. (laughs) Well, we got to be tolerant and we got to be loving. We don't tolerate the devil and we don't love no devil. 
We love human beings, but if they love the devil, they're getting out of here too. How do you know? Jesus run them out. Brother Randy, you kind of went too far. Don't make me jump to chairs now. I might go, <laughs> might go a little farther. Yes. And that's the truth. This generation has been demonized. It's wicked. Not every single body, every person in the generation, but it's, it's happening. It happened in Jesus' day. Now, you want to see more proof of this in the Bible. I got maybe a few minutes. That chicken leg, I saw it. It was on that thing back there. <laughs> so, there's only two things that can stop a long-winded preacher. That's God and food. We got both of them here today. So, So turn back to Matthew chapter 8 and let's do one of these things that, and look at something here that, that uh, we can see this in Jesus. And the reason I can tell my experiences and I've got a lot of experiences but I want to show you biblical experience. I want to show you what Jesus did in the Bible. And of course in our, our meetings that we're going to do about this or seminars and we do about this, like I said, you're the first one to hear it publicly. You're the first one that we're going to do this because direction of the Lord. We'll know the date and time and the wherefores and how-tos coming up here. Maybe we'll announce it in Gatlinburg. But this, I'm, reasoning, I'm just telling stories about where it's happened to me and where I've had demons cast out and where demons have actually attacked me, you know, especially in, in the, uh, back on years ago before I was serving the Lord. And how demons used to dominate me and control me. I mean, literally. I've had demons before, and I'm not getting into all this, but just, I've had demons be in a nice warm room like this, and demons come in and it'd be freezing in a matter of split, split second and a half. Because they change the very environment. They can do that. And that doesn't mean now because your air conditioner quits and your house gets cold. <laughs> I mean, your heater quits, your house gets cold, it's the devil. I, you know, that's where you got to balance all this stuff out. You'll be casting devils out of sinks and stoves and, <laughs> and air conditioners and heaters and cars and everything else. So sometimes you may need to cast the devil out of that car. In the name of Jesus, come out of there. <laughs> I've had experiences. But I've had, I've had demons that's actually tried to get into my physical body before I was saved. I had them get, get, tried to get in me. And I knew, I had enough know, to know my daddy had taught me about God, mama did, granny. But um, I, in my messed up, goofed up days, and I knew it scared me. I mean, it scared the devil out of me. And I knew, I mean, I was afraid. And I was paralyzed. I couldn't move, I couldn't speak a word, I couldn't, my throat wouldn't move, nothing. But I'm still alive today, thank you. Anyway, here we go. Again, I'm showing you biblical things because I can tell you my stories, but I want to, we're going to go through these things in our meetings about this particular subject. But Matthew chapter 8, verse number 28 says, When he, speaking of Jesus, was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, says there met him two possessed with devils. When he says two, he's talking about two individuals. He's talking about two human beings, right? I want you to understand what he's talking about. He said they met him. They, they come to meet Jesus. Two that were possessed with devils. Now, 
This is not wondering if they had a devil or something or thinking because they had a headache, a devil's got me, you know, I'm not saying any of that. These were possessed, these, these people, two men. Two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, which we would call the graveyard. That's where they were coming from, right? Tombs, we'd call it a graveyard. Exceeding what? Fierce. They were so mean, so obnoxious, so hateful that no man might pass by that way. Everybody was scared of them. They wouldn't dare. These two men were so empowered by the devil, they would kill anybody that come by there. So nobody went, but notice Jesus is going right where they're at. Notice Jesus is going right where they're at. Don't you think that Jesus knew that them possessed men were there? He was God manifested in the flesh. But notice what he exudes. He exudes a bold authority in any environment that he is in. He's not scared of nothing. If the devil can get you to fear him, he will take advantage of you. Jesus did not fear him. Don't you know that the people around knew and everybody knew that, hey, there's two demon-possessed people. We don't know what's wrong. They might not know there's demon-possessed, but they knew these men right here. Boy, you don't want to go rest with them. They'll kill you. He said that no man might pass by that way. No man. You know what no man means? That means the police force. That means the guys with the swords. That means the guys with the slingshot and the rocks. That means even Samson himself, which he's not here, of course, in this era. But there ain't nobody going by there. I mean, these demons are dominating that region. You understand? They're controlling that area. These demons are. Through these men. But look here in verse 29. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee? Jesus, thou Son of God, art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Notice here. They knew who Jesus was. And they knew that they have an appointed time that they're coming to an end. You notice that? They knew who Jesus was. These evil spirits did. And they knew that they have an appointed end as far as them being who they were as demon spirits. Verse 30. And there was a good way off from them. A good way off might have been 100 yards. It might have been 200 yards. I don't know. It's a good, it might have been an you know, eighth of a mile. I don't know. But it was a good ways off. It says a good way off. From them a herd of, of many swine feeding. You know what swine are? They're hogs. They're pigs. Anybody ever seen a hog? Anybody ever seen a pig? So they're saying the swine, the hogs, the pigs. So this is not just some kind of animal you don't know about. This is a hog and a pig. They're feeding over there. So the devil said because they knew that they had met their match. That's why they're saying this. They knew they had met their match because Jesus was not afraid of them. No, nobody else would come by there. But here comes this man. Who does he think he is coming on our territory? Then they realize, oh, no wonder he is. That's the Son of God. He's not afraid of us. Boy, we're going to have to get out of here. Let's see if we can make a deal with him. Is that Bob Barker? Let's make a deal. Oh, here they are. The demons want to make a deal. And they'll want to make a deal with you too when you know who you are. So here come Bob Barker's crowd and said, let's make a deal. Behold, verse 29, look at the deal they're going to make. And behold, they cried out saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Are they coming hither to torment us before the time? In other words, they want to make a deal with him. Verse 30. And there was a good way off from them, a herd of many swine, hogs and pigs feeding. 
So the devils besought him. Besought him means they asked him. They begged him. They pleaded with him, saying, if you cast us out, in other words, if you're going to cast us out, if you're going to make us leave these men right here, he said, allow us, suffer means to allow us or let us go away into the herd of swine. The first thing that a demon wants to do is possess a human being. But they will take refuge in a hog or a pig or a dog. I've seen dogs that had demons. Get in our meetings. I'll tell the stories, true stories of these things. They will get into animals. Now that don't mean your little puppy. <laughs> now our little chihuahua. Princess Maria, if people come to the door and my wife will leave the door open and got the storm door closed with the glass. If somebody comes to that door, they will think, if they come on the outside of that glass, is she fixing to break it down, trying to go, and they'll jump back. Just a little dog this tall, you know? I don't think she's got a demon, though. Not in my house. But she thinks she's somebody. And if you come to get in her house, you're going to have to get through her first. So demons do and will go into animals if they can't get into a human being. He said, if you cast us out, if you're going to cast us out, suffer us, allow us, or let us go away to the herd of swine. Let us go into the pigs and hogs. And verse number 32, and he said unto them, in other words, it wasn't a question if he was going to cast them out or not. It, it was, he was going to do it. So he said, go. What does the word go mean? It means I'm casting you out of these guys here. Now you and I would have to do it this way. We would say in the name of Jesus, I command you to go now. But I'm not Jesus, so I have to use the name of Jesus, right? And you do too. It says, when he said to them, go, and he said, when they were come out, in other words, the demons went out when? Right then. When Jesus said, go, what did the demons do? They left those men, and they got out of there. It says, when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, pigs and hogs, that's what that means, and behold, the whole herd of hogs and pigs ran violently, in other words, out of a control. In other words, these hogs lost their mind when them demons possessed them down into a steep place in the water and uh, sea and perished in the waters. In other words, the hogs and pigs, when the demons got in them, they wanted them out to the point that we'll commit suicide instead of letting these doggone demons stay in my body. Even the hogs had more sense than to deal with the devil. They went and jumped off the cliff without a life-saving raft. And they all drowned in the sea, about 2,000 of them hogs. That's a lot of demons, isn't that right? So you see, even the hogs don't want nothing to do with the devil. Well, why does people want to do something with the devil today? I mean, even the hogs have better sense than to deal with the devil. Well, I'm here to tell you, we've got authority of the devil. Let me close with this one scripture, Luke 4.36. And if you're visiting today, please come back because it will be uh, easier on you. And Dr. Chip's a man of God, don't get me wrong. He believes in cast out devils too, but he ain't going to scream at you like I do. <laughs> but I scream at you because I care about you. I mean, it might not seem like it, but I, I do. I really do. I'm not against nobody. 
I'm not attacking anybody, but I'm just angry with the devil. I'm angry with what he's doing to our society. I'm angry with what he's coming against the church. But in Luke chapter 4, this is three ingredients that every person needs to know. And again, I, didn't, I did not make this up. I, in fact, I'd read this scripture many times and didn't realize that this is, the, if you would allow me to use the word, a formula for dealing with the devil. Jesus said this to me when I was praying about the sermon. He told me to preach out of Luke 4.36. And, and I did. But he said there's three things in there that every believer, every Christian must know and put into action to successfully deal with the devil. He said these are the three things that I did while I was on the earth. And he said it applies to every Christian on the earth today. If they'll take these three ingredients and put them into action in their life, they will always, always, Always successfully make the devil leave them alone. Always. Luke chapter 4. And I'm not going to read the whole story but in, uh, because it would take too much time. But this is what I want to get to. Verse 36 of Luke 4. It says, And they were all amazed because Jesus had just cast the devil out of somebody. Verse 36. They were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? In other words, what in the world is going on? For with authority and power, he commanded the unclean spirits. Remember in Matthew chapter 12, we're talking about unclean spirits? That means any demon whatsoever. What a word is this? For with authority and power, he commanded the unclean spirits. What happens? They come out. They come out. Three things. Number one, authority. Number two, power. And number three, command. It's right here in the Bible. Jesus said, that's exactly what I've done every time when I dealt with the devil. <clears throat> Number one, you've got to realize and recognize your spiritual authority. If you are born again, you have authority over the devil. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, and you can look it up later, Mark 16, he said, these signs shall follow them that believe. The very first sign that will follow the born-again Christian, Jesus said, in my name shall they cast out devils. You've got to recognize that you have authority over the devil, which means you do not have to fear him. And he cannot dominate you. No evil spirit. I don't care if it's the devil himself. He cannot dominate you. He cannot control you. He cannot take advantage of you unless you allow him to. Cannot. Cannot, cannot. So authority. You don't words, recognize your authority. When you recognize your authority, then you recognize, I do not have to fear the devil. I'm not scared of him. Jesus come walking right down the road where he knew these madmen were, but he wasn't afraid of them. And you don't have to be either. With authority, then it says power. The second thing you must understand is the power. In other words, it's not you and your ability that's going to make the devil do anything. As a human being, I am powerless against the devil. But if I'm born again and the Spirit of God dwells in me, then God's power is available to me and it's going to back me up. So the authority I have is delegated authority and it comes to me from Jesus Christ. In other words, it's not my power. So you don't have to be thinking because most people think, well, I don't have the authority. I don't have a power over the devil. No, you don't. But Jesus does. And in Jesus Christ, you got authority and the power of God will back you up every single time. And the same thing that the devil done when Jesus was here, which means go and leave, and he left, he'll do it for you too. The devil will leave. So authority, power, then number three, command. 
it does no good to understand your spiritual authority. It does no good to understand that you've got power from heaven to back you up unless, number three, you use that by commanding the devil to do what you want him to do. Command him to go in the name of Jesus and don't come back. That's what you have to do. Authority, power, and command. Jesus said, this is exactly what I did every time I dealt with the devil. I encourage you, don't take my word for it. You study the Bible for yourself in the New Testament, and you'll see that Jesus used these three principles every time in dealing with any evil spirit. And this is what any Christian will do. Authority, power, and command. Again, yes, you need to understand your authority. You understand the power of God backs you up. But number three, if you don't use those two by commanding the devil in the name of Jesus, the devil's not going to go anywhere. It's unscriptural. Nowhere in the New Testament, put it like this, there's nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere. You do your own Bible study, and then if you find this that I'm to be wrong, you come in and tell me, and I will publicly write a newsletter. I'll even print a magazine. I'll do a video about it. If you can find anywhere in the Bible, in the New Testament, because that's the only place you're going to find these things anyway, any place in the New Testament where it tells you to pray for God or Jesus to do something about the devil for you. You will not find it. You will not find it. But what you will find is the believer is always told to do something about the devil themselves. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil. Who resists him? You do. He'll flee from you. Jesus said in Mark 16, In my name shall they cast out devils. In other words, Nowhere in the New Testament are you told to pray to God or Jesus or Holy Ghost or anybody else to do anything about the devil for you. Or even the angels. They're not going to do anything about the devil for you. They'll assist you. I mean, God, the Lord, the Holy Ghost, all that will help assist you, but still, ultimately, you are in charge. You have the authority. And you've got to do something about it. You know, you may be here today and you've been dealing with issues and things have been coming against you. And listen, let me, let me tell you the truth, and this balance is out. We want to be very balanced. Just because the enemy tries to come and oppress you, or oppress me, or oppress anybody else, or attack you, don't mean that you're a bad person. I mean, the devil wants to try to, to, to attack all of us. You know what I mean? It don't mean that you're necessarily even doing anything wrong. If you're attacked by the devil, because many people get into kind of, I don't want nobody to know, you know, because they think that, that I, I don't love God. Listen, let me tell you the story of Jesus. I'm trying to quit, and y'all keep agging me on. And let me tell you about Jesus. He was attacked by the devil. I said, Jesus was. Jesus. I said, Jesus was attacked by the devil. He, in Matthew chapter 3, he told John, he said, to fulfill the scriptures, you've got to baptize. I'm just paraphrasing, but it, you know, it says a little different in the King James. He said to John, he said, I need to be baptized by you. Now, why did he need to be baptized by John? Because he was recognizing and respecting the move of God that took place through the ministry of John. Most people in this day does not respect what God done back there, and they forget what our elders taught us and they get into error, but Jesus never done that. The protocol of God was for Jesus to embrace the last move of God and gain and glean everything he could from that, and then he could go on into his ministry. 
That's why he had to submit himself to the ministry of John the Baptist. God manifested in the flesh, had to submit to John. So he said, I won't need to be baptized of you, John. John said, oh, no, Lord. I'm paraphrasing. Oh, no, Lord, I need to be baptized. He said, no, 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 you got that wrong. He said, I come to submit to God through you. He said, baptize me. So John put him down in the River Jordan. I've been in that river. Anybody been in the River Jordan? Sister Millie has. They had a little bitty fish. I was baptizing people in there, and them little fish would come up and bite me on the leg. I said, you devil, you. <laughs> I'm joking. Get off of me. Little bitty thing, little minnow-like thing. You know, me, me bite you on the leg. I was baptizing people in the River Jordan. That's the muddiest place. I mean, just wash your sins away. You got to wash your mud off when you get through. My God. <laughs> well, but anyway, Jesus was baptized. I'm trying to tell the story here. Jesus was baptized by John. When he came up out of the water, what happened? The Spirit of God came upon him. Everybody's seen it. They said it was like a dove, but it wasn't a bird, you understand. It was the anointing. And then heaven, God sitting up there, he was watching the whole thing. And what did he do? He hollered down there. Yeah, God's from Tennessee. He hollered. He did. He hollered. He said, hey, y'all. He said, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. He hollered down here on earth when we could hear him from heaven. He's from Tennessee, I'm telling you, he was. He hollered. Isn't that in your Bible? I mean, it may not be the Tennessee part, but anyway, you know what I mean. He hollered. So he's anointed by God. He's got the Spirit of God without measure on his life. And in Matthew 4, chapter 1, chapter 4, verse 1, they said he was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted and tested and tried of the devil. He was anointed of God. Just because the devil is coming against you don't mean you've done anything wrong. You may be right smack dab in the middle of God's will. You might be right in the middle of that nanner pudding. I'm telling you the truth about it, but I'm telling you today, whoo, the devil don't want you to do God's will. He told some of you it's over. You might as well give up. You know, the biggest lie that people get involved in is complacency. They get complacent with where they're at. Satisfaction. Get out of there. But anyway, God is with us. Amen? He's on our side. And so Jesus was te tested and tried of the devil in the wilderness. And I used to think, you know, that God was sicking the devil on Jesus. And one day, I, I, I believe I got a revelation. You judge it, you know, I don't know everything. But I believe I, I was talking to the Lord about it. Lord, why in the world did you send the devil out there to come against Jesus? Because he was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted and tested by the devil. He said, son, he said, you got it wrong. He said, I wouldn't sicken the devil on Jesus like you'd sick a, a bulldog on a person. He said, I was sicking Jesus on the devil. He said, I was going to show him. The first prototype, the first Adam failed. But the second Adam, he was not going to fail. So he was sent to the second Adam. Jesus, you know, the Bible says he was a second Adam. He said, I was showing him that, buddy, you've done met your match. And the human race is not going to be subject to you anymore. So in order, before he could start fully into his ministry, before he could do anything else, he had to go have a showdown with the devil. 
I'm here to tell you, I mean, Jesus pulled quicker than Matt Dillon. I'm telling you, wow! I mean, he, I mean, he just shot him every which way you could. And he came out of that wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And that's exactly what we have. Thank God for his goodness. Brother Bill, you and Miss Trudy come up. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's stand to our feet for a minute. I need to pray for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for the Holy Ghost, and we thank you for the power of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. When the Lord showed me this early this morning, way before daylight, I said, Lord, how can this be? He said, I'll bring them unto thee. But before you gather your feet up unto the bed and to yourself, there's yet a place that you will walk that will be what some would call in the natural world the top shelf. Top shelf in this sense. That you'll move into a place in the anointing and a place in me that you've never been before. And all this time I've been preparing thee. I've been getting you ready. And so the race that you're about to enter into is something that you've never, never thought you would do. Because you've been fulfilling the plan and it's not been by the hand of man. But it's been my hand and my anointing that has been upon you and my grace that has been upon you. And even all the hell, as the world would call it, that, so to speak, that you've been through. And you wondered, why, Lord? Why, Lord? Well, there's some things I know that I can't say. But you did pray more. You did believe God more. And you did not give up on me. And because you did not give up on me and my will for your life, I have not given up on you. And you're going to see that you're going to walk out and you're going to step out and you're going to take a place in an anointing of peace and grace that you have never known before. Because I, the Lord, have opened for you a supernatural door in the name of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> now, Father, we thank you for your goodness. <clears throat> And we thank you for your mercy that endures forever and ever. Now, if you're here this morning and you've been experiencing oppression of any kind, I want to pray for you and believe God with you. If that's you, just raise your hand where I can see it. Don't mean anybody's been doing anything wrong. His hands here, it's any more hands. Hands back here. Hands over here. Hands up here. Hands over there. Anybody else? Well, just step out from where you're at and just come down to the front if you raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand and you want to come, you come also. Thank God. We're not here to embarrass anybody. Now's the opportunity. Amen. Now's the time. <clears throat> now is the time. Now is the time. Now's the time. We're not going to put up with this no more because God's opened for us a supernatural door. Father, in the name of Jesus, <clears throat> in the name of the Lord Jesus, and he's tried, and he's tried, and he's tried. Speaking of the devil, but he's always failed. And over Satan, you have prevailed. And because of that, you're going to see that there'll be a place of victory that you're going to walk in. And a place of liberty that you have not known in quite a while that you're about to walk in. Because there was a season that it was not easy. 
there was a season that seemed to be no reason as why it has to be like this. But now, you're going to find out there's going to be a breakthrough, and you're going to come out. And of that, there is no doubt. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> it's the anointing that breaks and destroys the yoke. <clears throat> Father, I thank you that the yoke is broken and destroyed now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the enemy is bound, and I command you to go and don't come back in the name of Jesus. Believing, believing is receiving. Believing is receiving. Sometimes the devil tries to get us to believe that we have not already received. And if we get into that mindset that it's not mine, that I'm not going to have it, that it doesn't belong to me, I'll only believe when I can see. No, you have it now. And so I bind that in the name of Jesus, and I release the power and the anointing of God from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I thank you for that anointing that is upon him now, that he'll run and he'll not be weary. He will walk and not faint. In the name of the Lord Jesus. The enemy, he will try and he will try. And that's been the case with you. Every time that it seemed like you were going to get free totally and walk away, the enemy would try to come and cause havoc to you day by day. But we take authority over that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we command it to go right now in Jesus' name. I break its power, and Father, I release and loose the power of God upon him now, and I thank you for a brand new day as you go your way in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Father, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. And I break the powers of darkness right now. And I release the power and the anointing of God. And Father, I thank you that your power is flowing into them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I'm turning it to Dr. Chip. Praise God. Amen. The Lord is good. Well, you know, I've listened to probably hundreds of messages from Brother Randy. I think that's the first message I've heard that he taught just on the devil and demon spirits, the whole service. Amen. So, you know, that's just to let you know that, you know, he's not teaching on this all the time, right? Some people, uh, in fact, I tried to help a fellow one time uh, uh, many years ago. And uh, uh, in fact, I told him, I said, every conversation we have, Every, without exception, every conversation we have, you bring up the devil. Uh, I said, you're devil-minded. Amen. Everything's not the devil. Uh, and so uh, it's, uh, but we need to know that. Amen. You know, in, in the natural world, you know, uh, you know, in the United States, we have like Russia is our enemy. You know, North Korea is our enemy. China is our enemy. Um, but, you know, in the realm of the spirit, we have one and only one enemy. Amen. He's a devil, and we should know a little bit about him, amen? We should know how he operates. We should know his plans and his designs, amen? Uh, in fact, the Bible says that we'll not be ignorant of his devices. Uh, and yet, uh, many years ago, I was reading an article, somebody written in a paper, and uh, it was one of these where they, people were writing questions, and then this person would answer the questions. And so someone asked a question of, what's the difference between devils and demons? And he answered that, and 
you know, his answer was fine because in, in, in the context of the Word of God, there's really not much difference between those two, not really no difference unless it's talking specifically about the devil. Uh, and so all of his answer was fine except for the very last paragraph. He said, uh, but we have no evidence that there are demons or devil, uh, uh, demonic activity in the earth today, operating in the earth today. And I'm thinking, have you never turned on the news? I mean, what world do you live in that, you know, uh, but he said there's no evidence that demonic spirits are in operation today. And <laughs> I was like, wow. Uh, you know, that, of course, that was many years ago, but uh, no, that's uh, my Bible there. Um, and so there is demonic activity in the world today. Amen. He's a defeated foe. We don't need to be afraid of him. We don't need to focus all on him, but we do need to.